Oh Lord God, you are our rock in the midst of a sinking sand. Nowhere else can we find firm footing in the shifting values, the lies and confusion and chaos around us. Lord, speak to us from this life-giving word that proceeds from that throne, that, that beautiful stream we have sung about, your love and your truth. Lord, wash us clean from all the confusion and lies that have stuck to us. And Lord, help us to reflect you, even as the moon, the sun, into this world which needs that bright light so desperately. Speak to us through your living word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This afternoon, I'd like to read a passage that perhaps not everyone is familiar with. It's found in the second book of Kings, chapter 6. Second Kings, chapter 6. And we'll begin reading at verse 8. <clears throat> Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Which will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dotham. Therefore he sent, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and had gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. 
And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they're in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. This uh, fascinating story is... uh, account where we see two kingdoms or two two dimensions, two realities where war is taking place. We see on a, on a terrestrial level, on this earthly level, there was a war between two powers. And you would think the heads of the powers, whether you've got to the king of Israel, who actually happens not to be a very godly man, uh, he he's, comes from a godly heritage. He knows the truth and the word of God, and he knows enough to listen to the prophet of God, but his heart is divided, and he sometimes uh, he, he trusts more in the idols of Baal than in the living God. There was this kind of halting between opinions that was still going on. And you got the king of Syria who's a rising power uh, in Damascus that uh, wants to take over Israel. And there's this war that's going on between the two of them. And yet there was other forces and other objectives than what was on the surface, that you've got these two competing powers over a piece of land or over, over power. There was... God and Satan that also had their objectives. And here we, we see how the, the king of Syria was, had actually superior uh, numbers and he thought he was going to set up a trap and he would go and set himself up and to ambush the king of Israel and try to catch him Uh, by surprise, and whenever he did that, Elisha would know through the power of God where that was, and he warned the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was able to to save himself a number of times, not just once or twice, until the king of Syria is saying, like, you know, who's the spy? There's got to be a mole somewhere. I want, you know, he gathered all his servants and says, like, who... Who's, who's the traitor here? Let's, let's figure out where, where this leak is coming from. And they told him that the leak wasn't a traitor in their midst, but that the servant of God, who, interestingly enough, they knew by name, even in Syria, could tell even what was, he was saying in his own bedroom, and that there were no secrets before God. And that's where this is happening. So now, 
the king of Syria thinks that he can solve this problem using the weapons he has, and he's going to use his military might to silence the man of God. We always tend to uh, fall back on where we think we're strong, where we think we have competency. That's what we use to solve our problems. So he thinks he can silence God through chariots and horses and a big army that he musters and he sends to surround. He finds out he uses his spy network. He's got spies too. And he finds he's in the city of Dotham and he's going to come down at nighttime and he's going to surround with this huge army. And then he's got, you know, this, this one ace in the hole that, that the king of Israel has, which is his connection with God. You know, does that sound familiar? Does that, is that strategy of Satan to say, well, look, if I can just get you to stop listening to God, then you'll be easy prey. And so he's going to use this strategy to capture the man of God and leave the king of Israel helpless against his tricks and ambushes from now on. And that's where we come to this interesting part of the story where the servant of Elisha gets up early, he goes out and he sees the trap. He sees the surrounding armies. He sees there, they got the latest technology, chariots, and there's huge numbers and they're surrounded and there's no escape. And he figures they're doomed. And he comes very distraught to his master, the king of Elisha. Kind of sounds like some of the other stories we've been listening to, you know, that over and over in the Word of God. We're in a boat. The water's pouring over the edges. The storm is unbeatable. What are we going to do? We're perishing. We're, we got our backs against the Red Sea. The, the, the whole host of chariots are coming, bearing down on us, and we've got nowhere to go. This is an impossible situation. And... They're, whether they're crying out to Jesus or they're crying out to Moses or here he's crying out to Elisha, it's the same cry of a lack of faith. And Elisha's going to say it's a lack of vision. A lack of vision. You're not seeing the whole picture. You're only dealing with part, one dimension, and you're missing the more important one. So Elisha tells him the same thing the word God tells every single one of us. These words, he says, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Fear not. It's, it's a imperative tense. It's a command. In it's not the only time. In fact, I haven't done a study recently, but I have in the past. These commands, fear not, is repeated quite a bit through Scripture. That is actually a choice that I make, and I catch myself making the wrong choice and choosing to fear when I'm commanded not to fear. And as we have studied, that's really a relationship to my lack of faith 
is my fear. But we're going to go one step beyond. Normally, you and I, the, Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those that don't see and still believe. Uh, because Thomas wanted to actually feel the, the holes in his hand and in his side. God's going to be gracious. And Elisha prays for his servant. And he says, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of that young man, the servant, and he saw. And the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He, there was this huge army of, 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 of angels flaming and full of power and surrounding Elisha. And there they, they was many more of them than even this puny human army. And Elisha then uh, proceeds to use that force to, to overcome evil with good, to take this army and make them as blind physically as they were spiritually, bring them into the actual capital city of Samaria, and even though the, the king of Israel is like almost like a little kid, you know, can I, shall I smite them, Father? Shall I smite them? Eager to you know, take advantage of this and, and know this isn't your victory. This is God's victory. And God wants you to overcome evil with good. Feed them, give them water and bread and send them on their way and they won't come back. <clears throat> So how does this relate to us? We've been studying the book of Ephesians through our, our midweek. And these same words of prayer for sight have been uh, uttered by Paul. Paul was praying for the church of Ephesus to see to see a spiritual reality that changes everything. I mean, you, you can imagine that, that twist, you know, the, usually in a good story, there's that, that plot twist where all of a sudden the things you thought are true are not true, and there's this, you know, betrayal or this sudden, you know, reversal in fortunes. Well, here's this, 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 this crux of the story. The man, the young man is, is sitting there, standing there, Fear and trembling, looking at this overwhelming odds, and Elisha prays for him, open his eyes. And then all of a sudden, there's, he sees. And what he sees changes everything. It changes the, the fear into you know, confidence. It changes the, the, uh, the sense of impending doom to uh, rejoicing in victory. It changes the whole picture. But that was true the whole time. He just didn't see it. Even so, Apostle Paul is praying for you and I that we would open our eyes and see what has been true the whole time and would change our attitudes, our outlooks, and everything if we would only believe. And so here in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul is saying... I cease not to make mention, giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is, now he's going to tell you what he's praying. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants you to, to, to see, to, to be revealed who, who God really is and to understand and have the wisdom and the eyes of your understanding, the eyes we're talking about sight, spiritual sight, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The fact that you've been called by God, some people avoid it. Some people avoid being here because they're afraid they're going to be called by God. But instead, this is something that gives you hope. You are, there is a God of the universe, the one we heard, the creator this morning, who's got a specific plan for you and is calling you out of your meaningless uh, groping in the dark, as he describes in Acts 17, and he's calling you to something much better. He knows what you're capable. He knows what he's made you for. And he's got this purpose and is glorious. And your greatest hope is for him to call you into something better and something that is exactly what he's made you for. He's going to make you something glorious. The hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, God wants to bless you. He, he has, like a, a father who stored up and gathered things. If you read, you know, David. He had like tons of gold and silver and precious stones. I've got this inheritance I want to give you. And it's, it's going to be something you can build a temple out of. I've got this inheritance that's glorious. I want to give you not on only uh, a place in heaven, a mansion, but even here, this victory, this mantle of being my child, that you can have this power and these riches, not necessarily silver and gold, but things of far greater value. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word? What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Do you, do you, do you see? Paul is praying for you that you could see. He doesn't want you to live beneath your privilege. He doesn't want you to live afraid of his calling. He doesn't want you to, to tremble at the door and never enter in. He doesn't want you to be a Christian and yet feel defeated and feel weak and feel 
uh, unequal to the challenges that are before you. There is power, and, and what power? The power isn't just God's power as he thunders and lays. It's power to you, to us word. Now, the qualifier is you need to believe, and the dimension or the extent of the power is illustrated, as he says, in what he has already done in Jesus Christ, because he took him who was dead for three days, and he's raised him not only to be alive, but he's raised him into heavenly places, not only in heavenly places, but above every other power, every principality. We're talking about all satanic power. We're talking about all spiritual power, all angelic power and might and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but in the world to come, and put it all things under Jesus' feet and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is us, his body, the fullness of him who filleth all in all. Ephesians got lots to say about the church. It's very interesting. But here he's telling you as the individual member, you're scared about this encircling that you don't see a way out of. And you're scared but you don't realize that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You don't realize that the power that raised Jesus from the dead has put the head of this body above all satanic power, that it has no authority. You have authority. Jesus has authority over it, and you are in the Lord Jesus. If we were to see that, would that change your attitude? Would it change my attitude? How many times I whimper in fear? I'm that young man and needs my eyes opened to see the reality that is there it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just, you know, what some skeptical atheist may claim that, you know, you just want it to be true, and that's why you say these things. No, we have evidence. Just like there's evidence that the air is here. If I don't see the air, but if it weren't here, I would know it because I would be on the floor choking. It, that air is what is giving me life. And when you see the removal of truth and you see the removal of the influence of God's word and godly people. And you can look into the newspaper and on the internet. And you can see the effects of what happens when you remove the air of God's love and truth from people. And there is no restraint to their evil imaginations. And where they can think that by their choice they can choose their gender of the day. They can choose to exert power to achieve their objectives for their pleasure. And it doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. But it's all in the name of compassion as we, as we co-opt as we co-opt the agenda of liberating the oppressed and we redefine oppression to be, you're in the way of my sinful lifestyle. You can see what happens. It's not, it's not subjective. 
your, your eyes will see the effects of God. I mean, what excuse did the king have? He knew this intelligence he was getting was coming through God alone. And why is he still going to these idols and not trusting God? I know the power that I see in my life and in your life in the lives of people who've changed, who've converted, who've come. The, the, the person who was the worst kid I knew growing up, the only one who could get my patient father upset, the one that, that you know, was, you know, and, and he converted. Like, that power was not the power of man. I have seen the power of God. What excuse do I have to stand here and be afraid? It's, it's called forgetfulness. It's we've seen and we forget what we've seen. Or we don't connect the fact that this evidence in this dimension of reality comes from God. And there's more where that came from. This dimension is true. And if I could open my eyes and see that battle, those forces that are available, and don't think that I'm alone. How often is that the lie that Satan tells you? You are alone. You no one understands you. No one is ultimately on your side. You're isolated from, uh, you know, the, the, and he just wants to make you give up because and isolate you. He uses that lie. He uses it to me. I know he uses it with you. I've heard how many people say, I'm lonely, I'm defeated, I have no one. And yet, if you could open your eyes if, if you, you, and see spiritually, you would say you're not alone. That the Lord Jesus, above all power and nations and, and name and every name that is named, is your head and is looking down in love and has angelic powers because that's true too. We don't discuss it. It's not off. Uh, we don't often get this view behind the scenes, but it's in scripture. Here's an example where angelic armies are operating, unseen to most, but to those who pray and those who trust and those who believe, they are operating. In Daniel, we see another example where not only are there spiritual forces, good forces at work, but they're being actively resisted by evil spiritual forces. In Daniel chapter 10, he's, he's, he's seeking God, he's fasting and praying for three weeks. And then an angel shows up after three weeks and says, from the moment, Daniel, greatly beloved of the Lord, God really loves you, and the moment you started praying, I was sent from the throne room of God, he says. Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. And below Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And now I am come to make thee understand. So we see the angel was sent and took 21 days to get through 
due to the resistance of satanic forces and that reinforcements, Michael the archangel had to be sent to, to reinforce him. And we see that you know, there seems to be something, again, culture, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Not, you know, it's not arbitrary. He has dominant cultural authority. There's this, this mighty prince of Persia, which was the dominant world power. And then later on he says, now I've got to go back and fight, says the same angel, with the prince of Persia. And after that, the prince of Greece is going to come. And so we see the next world power of Greece was rising, and that was going to become the next spiritual battleground. There is a war going on, and we, I, way too often, are just I reduce my view and scope to, to what I see and not what is real and true. And so we're now, as we're studying together in the book of Ephesians, we've gone to the sixth book of Ephesians, sixth chapter, where, where Paul is challenging us not only to see, not only to believe, not only to allow the truth of who we are to change our confidence and our posture, he's challenging us to enter into the battle. To realize that we will get spiritual resistance and that shouldn't make us roll over and play dead because greater are the forces within us than those that are in the world. And so he tells us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's always being sneaky because he doesn't do well in full frontal daylight attacks. He is using subterfuge. He is using subtlety. The serpent came day one with subtlety, with half-truths and spitting, right? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's the lie. It's about people. No, it's not. It's not about the people that you feel are resisting you. It's not about the people that you feel are giving you grief or you have problems with. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, there are dark forces that are out to resist you. And that's who we are to wrestle with. Now, the, the word wrestle implies a sustained effort over time that where you need to apply all your force in order to resist and to um, contain it, the, your opposing for, force. And there's, there's much more that we can get into, and hopefully we will, over the coming weeks, look into the specifics of how and what God has applied to us to enter into that force, uh, to that battle to wrestle against dark forces. But the point from what we learned today in Dotham is first we need to see. 
First, we need to believe. First, we need to recognize that it's not about Edmund's happiness and his success right now. It's actually, there is a wider struggle going on. And there is the prince of the power of the air who's, who's, who is, who's actively seeking to destroy, not just you. And so we need to wrestle not just for ourselves, but we need to see that greater are the forces on our side than those of the enemy. Satan had to actually ask permission from God when he wanted to test Job. That, that even though he can fool, he can use lies, he can use intimidation, and he can resist, but yet if we are able to hold on to the truth and walk in the light as we confess our sins, as we are, are transparent in 1 John, and as we are girded with truth and, and as we apply the word of God, which is the irresistible truth of, the, of, of God, he is unable to stand against that. But first we've got to realize we're fighting. We've got to realize that the war is real and that we're in that war. And there needs, we, we can't be slack and, and, or distracted or um, complacent or intimidated. Satan likes to use either strategy. Some, in, in the past, in here in North America, it's kind of like, don't worry, I'm not really here. You don't see me, and I'm just going to do my work in the dark, right? Whereas, you know, you go to Africa and other countries, it's like, you know, I'm very powerful, you can't do anything to resist me, and, you know, if you don't do what I say, you'll be cursed, and so on. He uses intimidation. Right? And so we need to be aware of both strategies that he has and not allow ourselves to be either intimidated by our circumstances, by even the flesh and blood struggles that we have. Neither can we allow ourselves to be lulled into a false sense of security. The battle is real, but God's power is greater. And, we won't, and, and Apostle Paul is praying for us that we would open our eyes to the riches and the power that he has planned for you and I specifically and that he's already demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead. May each one of us have our eyes open. So pray now and never cease your praying unto the Lord and in your prayer endure. For brother now, there can be no delaying. Well for him who in Jesus stands secure. Although a thousand arrows fall around you, your enemy shall nevermore confound you. You know the way which he has marked so clearly, the way of self-denial that he trod. Oh, love him more and ever more sincerely, who bore the cross for us, the Son of God. Oh, hear him from the seat of mercy pleading with us, his sheep who need his tender leading. I am the way, the truth, the life from heaven. All who believe in me shall never die. Embrace the promises that he has given. They are so weighty and so much imply. See, like a balm to hearts bowed low with sorrow, 
They heal us for the joys of God's tomorrow. With that, we conclude this afternoon's service.